Hey everyone, welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast from HorrorGeekLife.com. I'm your host, Melissa, and with me is Matt. So this week we're talking about modern horror comic anthologies in the same vein as classic anthologies like Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror. But before we get into that and news, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Always glad to be here. So I know today we're talking about comic anthologies, but we're also fans of horror movie anthologies. And I have to ask, what are some of your go-to horror anthologies? I always find myself revisiting the VHS franchise, mostly part one. I know a lot of people enjoy the sequel more than the original, but I've always been a bigger fan of the first film. Part three is (laughs) god-awful. The 94 trilogy was was really, really fun, but I pretty much stick to the first film. I revisit that one more than any of the others. Of course, the Creepshow films are great, and uh, John Carpenter's Body Bags is another really fun one. VHS is a lot of fun, and I have to agree with your assessment on the third film. I am with the majority that I enjoy VHS 2 Uh, Mm -hmm. more than the first but I think the first two are so solid and then the new films um, are pretty fun too so and yeah body bags is one that I really slept on until I saw it on Tubi I absolutely loved it and I've rewatched it since for me you know you mentioned creep show and I think creep show one is a you know a better film overall but for me I go to creep show two more than Creepshow 1. I just really enjoy it. I think for a long time, The Raft was my favorite segment, but now it's The Hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. I just love that segment. Her conversation after leaving her lover's house and heading home that she has uh, in her head with her husband. (laughs) I love that entire setup. And I just think it's really scary at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's a definite fun one. Yes. You know, I know that you're into Christmas horror, but I have to ask, have you seen A Christmas Horror Story from 2015? I have not. I love it. I have written about it a few times over the years in various ways. And it's one that I just really enjoy. I actually, William Shatner (laughs) narrates the wraparound. (laughs) That's cool. Yes. And the segments go from supernatural to homicidal. And I just really like the segments and how it all connects in the end. Okay, so let's go ahead and move into some news. First up, Scream 6, which just dropped a brand new trailer yet again. Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, Scream 2, and Scream 4, has called the film a fresh reinvention. Now, of course, he didn't write this film. This film was written by Scream 5 writers Guy Busick and James Vanderbilt. But Williamson told Sci-Fi Wire, absolutely floored with how well Scream 6 turned out. It doesn't feel like part six. It feels like you're watching this big, huge, fresh reinvention. I, okay, get this, four of these. I love, 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 love it. It's a lot of love. (laughs) I've watched the movie with a big smile on my face. I think it's everything and more. And going to New York is awesome. The movie feels new. It feels fresh. And it feels like a new movie. And with this one, there's a lot of parallels to Scream 2, like we've mentioned before. And Mm -hmm. I currently covered that at Horror Geek Life as well. And with Scream 5 being titled Just Scream, you know, this is kind of the new trilogy that we're heading into. So it definitely needs to stand apart from the Sydney Prescott films because, of course, she's not going to be in it. 
And I should also note that Williamson is a producer on Scream 6, but that is super common that they just give the former writers and directors that producer title. It doesn't mean he's done anything on it, but he is getting a cut <laughs> along the way. Who doesn't like free money? Yeah, on the movie that he love, 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 loves. But we'll see in March what we think about this one. I am cautiously optimistic. I am very cautious, but not optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up, a Megan sequel has been confirmed for 2025, and this is not a surprise. In horror, if you make above your budget, you're going to get a sequel, <laughs> typically. Sometimes <laughs> not even then. Yeah, this is true. But on this one, they had a $12 million budget and they made over $94 million, which is amazing to do, especially in January. Right. Now, I haven't seen it yet. I'm like one of the 12 people who still have not seen it. I know you are too. Yep. It has also been confirmed that Allison Williams and Violet McGraw are going to return, which of course starred in the first film. We did review it at Horror Geek Life, and uh, that review was from Steven Rosenberg, who gave it a 3.8 out of 5. And he said, while it isn't groundbreaking and it is a familiar story, it's a pretty fun flick with great performances. Hopefully it comes to Peacock. They usually do 45 days after it's released in theaters. So maybe at the end of February, if that goes according to plan, we'll be able to watch that at home. Over the last week, HBO released The Last of Us, and it has debuted as the second most successful premiere since Boardwalk Empire in 2010 with 4.7 million viewers. Now, the first, of course, is House of Dragon. You aren't really going to top Game of Thrones very easily. Right. Uh, but that one had 10 million. So yeah, it is a huge success, and not only did people tune in for it, but according to Rotten Tomatoes right now, it is 99% approval rating from the critics and 95% from audiences. So this is one of those awesome rare times where critics and audiences are kind of seeing eye to eye. That's pretty impressive. It is, and on what we're going to talk about next, uh, that is not the case. So <laughs> kudos to The Last of Us. Now, moving on to an HBO Max show that did not meet the same fanfare. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be Velma, which has debuted to single-digit audience scores. Before everyone was really chiming in on Rotten Tomatoes, which I am a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic, but I haven't reviewed this one. I figured why stab the dagger in even further. I don't think it can go any further. <laughs> well, you're right. So I watched the first of the first two episodes of Velma when they came out and mm -hmm. I was fully going in, going to watch both episodes. Oh my God. It was almost unwatchable. I was cringing from the moment the show started and I didn't stop and it like angered me. <laughs> like I try not to get <laughs> mad over movies and TV and things like that, but it angered me. Like, I don't know who the show was written for because mm -hmm. the jokes kind of land like it's more for, you know, what people would call woke Twitter, which I really hate that term. But then it's also like, hey, here's a lot of nude, soaked up girls. I'm just like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> who's supposed to enjoy this? I don't know because it's not me. Right. The jokes were so outdated too, like super outdated. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hated it. Yeah. And as much as I like Mindy Kaling other times, her voice did not fit 
Velma at all. It was just so high pitched and so perky and that's just not Velma. Mm -hmm. It just, nothing about it really worked for me and people are agreeing. I keep seeing promotions from HBO put out there um, on Twitter and stuff and they turn off comments. <laughs> I'm sure they have. <laughs> While you can turn off comments, you cannot turn off quote retweets. So mm -hmm. reading those is like <laughs> doom scrolling. I don't even know why they're they're wasting money on any kind of promotional stuff for this anymore at this point. It's obvious there's not going to be a second season. The HBO platform has just dismantled itself over the last couple of months. It has canceled so many shows. It has removed a lot of content that was already on it. It's been grim. To see it pushing Velma, oh, there's so much good content that just got scrapped and... So I looked through the audience reviews of it just to see what people were saying. Some of the quotes it had that I'm just plucking from random reviews here is one of the worst things I've ever seen, absolute trash, worst of Scooby-Doo, lazy writing, and one even asked if this is a sick joke on the fans of the franchise. Okay, so we are moving into our main topic, which is modern horror comic anthologies. What prompted this is here lately, you know, we read a lot of the same comics, us and our friends, you know, we kind of all pick up the same comics because we're all into horror and the same creators and things like that. Mm -hmm. Here lately, I think you can agree that there have been some really good anthologies coming out and a couple of those are not just standard horror anthologies, but they actually feel like classic anthologies. Yeah, very much so. So let's talk about the first title, which is Creepshow. And this is out now by Image Comics and Prince Skybound. And we talked about the films Creepshow, which are total classics. But this one is actually based on Shudder's Revival series. Mm -hmm. Even though it's based on the Revival series, I think it totally fits in with old school Creepshow stories. What do you think? I definitely agree. It has that old time vibe to it. It shows a lot of artists that really kind of encompass that kind of older horror comic art style as well, which really, really helps. And most of the segments are really solid. I don't think you could have got a better creep show anthology than what we did get. So I've been really, really happy with it. And it's it's just a blast. So I'm not going to name all of the creators because there's a lot of them, but some of the creators include Paul Dini, Steve Lakeford, Chris Burnham, Kelly Jones, Francesco Francavia, Lisa Francavia, Kelly Sparks, John McCree, and others. So there are some really good names in there. And I know you're a really big fan of Francavia's work. Yes. He actually did him and... Lisa Francavia actually did my favorite segment within the entire anthology series, which is the one called Hair. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. And I keep going back to it in my head. And it was just kind of a heartwarming yet sinister, you know, creature <laughs> yeah. feature. Um, and then, of course, his art is top notch, which we've talked about on the show before. I highly, highly, highly recommend checking this out if you're into Creepshow. I have to say that I love, 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 love it. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to quote me on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You just got a producer credit. So the next one is also a new comic anthology that just came out, and it is called Shock Shop from Dark Horse. This one is written by Colin Bunn, who I'm a really big fan of Colin Bunn. Or I, you have to be, right? Oh, of course. I just don't understand how he writes so much. 
Like, I don't know if he just has written his whole life and just has, like, stockpiles of scripts, <laughs> but puts out, like, six different books every year. And it's just like, my God, man, I don't know how you have time to do anything. It's all usually pretty solid. I know a, lo a lot of people refer to him as basically the Stephen King of horror comics, just because of how prolific he is and how much he puts out. In the last couple of years, I have, you know, of course, seen his name over and over again, and I've picked up several of the titles, and dude always hits. Yeah. I was really excited to check this out because not only Colin Bunn, but also an anthology from Dark Horse, and yes. So this one is a bit different than Creepshow, which has, you know, totally different stories with each comic, where this one has two stories. One is called Familiars, and the other one is called Something in the Woods in the Dark, which, by the way, I love that title. Very classic sounding as well. So these two titles throughout the course of the series, which is now wrapped up, so you can get all of them and read them all now, but it breaks down these two stories in each issue. I think I liked Familiars a little bit more than Something in the Woods in the Dark, but I loved them both. What, what was your take on the two? I like There's Something in the Woods a little bit better, but like you said, they're both really really great stories and i love the format of they made it like kind of a flip book style to where you get two separate covers there's a front cover and then if you flip the book over to read the other story you get a whole brand new cover as well so i thought that was really cool two of my favorite artists did covers for this one including uh, francesco francovia of course and james stoko did a really awesome cover and I'm a really big fan of Danny Luckert's art, who is a frequent collaborator with Cullen Bunn on a few of his other books as well. So I did digital for this one, so I couldn't experience the flip style. And I actually wasn't aware until I saw it mentioned. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really <laughs> <laughs> translate on yeah. digital. Right. <laughs> Mine was just very straightforward. <laughs> but that is definitely cool. And with this one, even though there it has these two stories, it does have a narrator. Mm -hmm. And she's like this cheesy mix of the Crypt Keeper and Elvira kind of combined. Yeah. I love how these narrators always have super cheesy jokes and outdated material and it like yes. makes them even better. <laughs> yes. Familiars follows a divorced dad who finds out his his house is haunted by something. There are some really fun twists and turns in that one. Something in the Woods in the Dark follows a group of friends camping in the woods who come across monsters who can shape shift into them. It's kind of a thing type story. But yeah, that one is super solid. And I will definitely revisit this series at some point. Yeah, I'm hoping that it did well enough to get a, a second volume because it was really fun. Yes, I hope so too. And I would love just to see more of that narrator. Yeah. So the next one on our list is from Image Comics, and that one is Silver Coin. This one was created by some really, really talented people in the industry, including Michael Walsh, who is brilliant, Chip Sadarsky, Ed Brisson, and Jeff Lemire. So this one, as the title suggests, is pretty much about a coin that if you find it, you feel yourself being very lucky until you're not. <laughs> or all the different stories just follow this coin throughout the ages. But it kind of bounces around a little bit in setting and things like that. So it's not linear. Right. It kicks off in the late 70s with a rock band who are seeking fame. And once they find that silver coin, they pay the price. But yeah, so it's pretty much about chasing clout and fame. And I really love the arcade. That's a fun one. 
And it starts off with the arcade with a nail biter arcade machine, which is like awesome. Yeah, Joshua Williamson wrote that issue. Who wrote Nailbiter? That was a nice little throwback. Absolutely. And for anyone who has not read Nailbiter, I think it's kind of a must-read horror comic. Yes. It takes place uh, in an arcade, obviously, in a kid who really wants to be the top at this game. He finds this coin, this silver coin, uh, in the bottom of a fountain, and he uses it in the machine. And he finally gets what he wants until... You know, it's kind of the the genie in the bottle. Be careful what you wish for. So Yeah, for sure. I'm a big fan of this format for this book, that they get a different writer for every single issue. And the coin almost operates as a narrator in a way that kind of ties it all together. Michael Walsh does the art for every issue. He's the brainchild behind it. I'm a huge fan of his art. I think he's the only writer who's done multiple issues, but he kind of is writing kind of like the origin of the coin. All his stories kind of delve back into the past and tell you like really early bits of history with the coin. So I really like the format of this book and I'm really hoping that we get to see who the next batch of writers is going to be. I do too. And I have to agree that Michael Walsh is brilliant. And, you know, I hadn't realized that his issues were showing the origins. That's actually something that didn't click in my head, um, but it makes a lot of sense. It had to make our list because, like I said, it pulls together some of the best of the best of the best within the industry right now, especially in horror comics. And so that one is a definite must read. Agreed. So for the next one, I think almost every episode that we record, we talk about John Lee's, yes. the comic creator. And um, we should probably tell him at some point that, hey, we we talk about you <laughs> a lot on the show. <laughs> such a likable guy and man he is a brilliant writer so i uh, i love mentioning him and i also love the publisher of this next one awa who is an excellent indie publisher and they deserve a huge part of the spotlight but this one is called hotel the artist on this is dalibor talgic and lee lowridge this one takes place at the piero courts the piero courts is somewhere on route 66 it really doesn't have an exact location. It kind of finds you instead of you finding it. The people that this hotel finds are always seeking something. They are always in need of something. But of course, kind of like the silver coin that we just talked about, what you seek isn't always what you really want to find. <laughs> so <laughs> There are two volumes of this one out right now. They both have really solid storytelling, really solid characters, and of course the art. I think I like the first volume a little bit better, but John Lees doesn't write a bad story, in my opinion. Anything with his name on it is an automatic buy for me. But yeah, you get the hotel clerk as kind of your narrator. It almost seems like he is more stuck there than wanting to be there. Um, we haven't really got his full story yet, but there's like little breadcrumbs of his story kind of sprinkled throughout the series, which is really fun. And there's also this painting of a clown. His name is Piero. You don't really know what he is. Kind of a mystery to what is going on with him, but he's super creepy and kind of runs the show is the best way I know how to put it. Yes. And I love the hotel clerk because with these other narrators of these anthologies, they're telling these corny jokes, they're having fun, <laughs> you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're making macabre uh, references and jokes. And 
He does not. He is a very sad individual. I also get the sense that this clown, which is a massive picture within the lobby of this hotel when you check in. Mm -hmm. Hotel is kind of, uh, it's very much a a roadside motel. Uh, It's not really a hotel, but um, nothing fancy here. (laughs) When things sinister start happening to those who check in, this clown portrait changes. It is really, really creepy. Yes. I like that the narrator is mostly when each new guest comes to check in, he's almost without advertently telling them, no, don't do it. He's always kind of hinting that you do not want to be here. Really a different take on the whole narrator uh, aspect of anthologies, which I, I think is brilliant. The way that I read it with him kind of telling people, like you said, like, are you sure this is where you want to check in? (laughs) Is It kind of takes it off of him because Mm -hmm. he knows what's happening at this motel. He knows that not great things are going to happen to the people who check in. And so to me, it kind of relieves him like they're here at their own free will. I am not. Right. Keeping them here. Yes. How the first volume wraps up. I just thought, what did I just read? How is everybody (laughs) not talking about this across the board? It is so good. I know. We had to include that one. Now, the next one on our list is also unapologetically John Lee's. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And on this one, he collaborates with artist Alex Cormick, who is amazing. Yes. Now, Sync is the comic series, and Sync is from Comics Tribe. And if you've listened to this podcast, (laughs) you have already heard about (laughs) Sync, which is also the comic character Dig comes from that, who now has his own story. And yeah, so none of this should be too big of a shock, (laughs) but it is on our list. (laughs) So this one follows a Gotham-like fictional section of Glasgow, and it is called Sync Hill. It's kind of a place where you think, why would you live here? Right. There's too many criminals. Don't live here. (laughs) (laughs) And then on top of that, there's all of these factions and it's super unsafe to walk alone at night. It's super unsafe to pretty much do anything. And it's just total mayhem all of the Mm -hmm. time. But it is a wonderful story that follows different residents of Sync Hill dealing with the different elements and gangs and things like that. Hands down, one of the best comic series I have ever read. Yes, I very much agree with that. There's not a book that I get more excited for. And we'll be seeing the next volume, uh, which will be the third volume, coming out sooner than later. Comics Tribe has been teasing a release date. I'm hoping that we'll see that very, very soon. And it was awesome last year that they put out Dig because, you know, Dig is a character within this sync universe who is a vigilante and he he's a man who wears a fox mask and goes around with a shovel and does awesome things (laughs) with such shovel (laughs) um he is the batman but a very poor version of batman (laughs) within this city but dig got his own issue and this issue falls in between volumes two and three so we had a little something to kind of hold us over but i'm ready (laughs) i'm like ready yes I'm very ready. I've been seeing preview pages of Cormac's art for the next issue, and it looks just amazing, as always. He's definitely a comic artist that I'm enjoying pretty much above all else right now. And when it comes to gore, I don't think there is a better comic artist. He just does it so great. 
So in comicsology, I went back and read some of their older works. Alex Cormick has this way with illustrative horror that is just beautiful. I mean, just stunning and beautiful. And he is wise enough to pair up with writers who can match his art because sometimes that is not always the case. I, you know, how many times as a comic collector have you gotten this beautiful comic, <laughs> you know, on the outside and then you start reading the actual words and you're like, hmm, this doesn't really <laughs> match up or the yes. other way around. Yes. So I think Lee's and Cormac, they are a match made in heaven, hell, whatever. <laughs> but it is just a beautiful match. So with Shock Shop and Creep Show coming out, do you think that these classic comic anthology styles, you know, like The Haunt of Fear, The Vault of Comics, Tales from the Crypts, do you think that it's coming back? Is this like a lead way into that? Yeah, I would have to say so, just because they're fairly recent and both kind of came out at the same time. And I, I've been seeing kind of a lean with not just anthology comic horror, but with just horror series kind of having that older feel to them. And as far as I know, they've been doing really well. I'm really hoping that this is leaning toward uh, somewhat of a revival of that kind of style. Two books that jump out at me immediately that kind of fit into that style is Night of the Ghoul by Scott Snyder and Francesco Francovia and Stuff of Nightmares uh, written by R.L. Stein with art by A.L. Kaplan. It had a very old school horror feel to it as well. Kind of a mashup of Reanimator and your classic Frankenstein story. And it was just a lot of fun. I'm really hoping to see more of the style. I mean, we're getting quite a bit of it. So I'm really happy with that. Absolutely. I read Stuff of Nightmares as well, um, and that's from Boom, which I almost put it on this list, but then I thought, well, I don't think it's an anthology. It was a four-issue limited run, but I don't know if they're doing more or not, but um, right. yeah, it, it was the exact same feel. It fits right in there with Creepshow and uh, Shock Shop. I loved that one, and it was a lot of fun, and I agree, and I think with you know, I kind of read uh, Creep Show, Shock Shop, and the Stuff of Nightmares back to back. And mm -hmm. I think after reading those three issues, I was like, oh my God, this is coming back. Feel like this is coming <laughs> back. So Tales of the Crypt comic series was revived in 2007 and again in 2016. But I kind of feel like now might be a good time to really bring it back, like in a good, proper way. I, I think it would do well, but. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, it would be really cool to see that because the first time it was brought back by Paper Cuts and then the second time Super Genius Comics. I think Paper Cuts went for a couple of years um, and then Super Genius Comics was a very, very short run. Um, but I would love to see that come back at the same time, especially now that we have Creep Show. Right. Which hopefully we see more of. Yeah, I very much agree there. It's been such a fun read. Absolutely. So that is it for our modern comic anthologies. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Horror Geek Podcast. Please be sure to follow or subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And you can connect with us on social media at Horror Geek Life. And I'm at Horror Geek Mel on Instagram. Until next time. Bye. <laughs>